Well, this morning, we are going to do things just a little differently today. I love that song that we just sang as we proclaimed, yes, I will. Lord, yes, I will. And I pray that that's the heart of our church. That's pray that's your heart. That anytime God moves you, you say, yes, Lord, I, I will. Yes, I'll follow you, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. You know, um, I say often, and, 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 I pray, and I pray often that we are a church that moves every time God moves us. And this morning, we're going to practice that a little bit because you'll notice that all around the room are our Lord's Supper elements. And if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're, we're essentially wrapping up today our series in the parables. And, um, and as we um, think about where we've been over the last several months, uh, we, we, this, this study in the parables have been insightful. And before we dive into this, I want to just say a couple of things. Thank you. I want to say thank you for the way that you have um, have served this last week in the life of our church. I mean, think about this. We, uh, just this week, our church family has given out 1,150 meals to people in need all over this part of Tulsa. Isn't that great? Yeah, thank you. And many of you served in that, out of the mission. We, we, we fed people out of the mission. We, we went to uh, uh, Iron Gate. We, we fed folks at our Calvary campus in Tulsa. And, and man, it's just been a great uh, opportunity for us, not only just to give out food, but to point people to Jesus. And I want to thank you for that. Also, uh, you'll notice in the foyer, we have our Operation Christmas boxes. And, and if, if this Christmas you want to, this is a great thing to do as a family, to take one of those boxes. And, and, and let me tell you what those go to. It goes to kids and families who, who won't have good meals once school is out in Owasso and Collinsville. And so if you want to take a box today and, and, uh, and, and put a box together next time you go to the grocery store for uh, those families, I'm thankful for Michelle Heyer and just her ministry to those uh, families. And, and, um, and so we want to help just kind of minister and feed those folks. So if you want to take one of those boxes, I hope you get one of those before you leave. But Matthew chapter 9. That's where we're going to be today. And as we kind of wrap up this study in the parables, the parables have been a good study for us because, um, be, because it's Jesus' stories, the stories that he told. And when you think about those stories, they, they continue to have incredible impact all over the world uh, and all through history. Those stories have, have continually uh, um, made an impact. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus made an impact when he, when he taught. People that heard him teach said, who are you? you? You teach like one with authority. Well, of course he did. He was God in the flesh. And so he taught with authority. And, and his ideas, especially in, his, in the parables, they were radical. They were, they, they were controversial. They were unexpected. But, but they resonated with these supernatural truths. That's what his parables did. And it's been incredible for us to, to kind of take a look at the parables in Luke. And, and today we're going to shift a little bit because we're going to look at this parable in Matthew. Luke didn't record this parable, but, but I wanted to end with this parable because it's at a dinner. 
And Jesus has gone to a dinner at Matthew's house. And, it, and it's just an important uh, connection as we come to the Lord's table and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And, and, and you know, when you think about why Jesus came to the earth, I mean, he, he tells us in his parables that he came to, to seek and save the lost. And Matthew 9 is the account of Matthew, the, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew. It was his moment when he came to Christ. Now, as we think about the parables, and one of the things that I pray you embrace with us uh, is that you, you recognize that, that a parable, and we've said this almost weekly, a parable means to cast alongside. And what you find in the parables is Jesus casting alongside this earthly story or this, this, uh, um, uh, this practical story that we can relate to, and he puts alongside of it this kingdom truth. Because the parables speak to the kingdom of God coming to earth. And that's happened. I mean, the kingdom of God is something you and I can experience. And it, it's like this, when we, like today. We're going to experience a little bit of the kingdom of God because the Holy Spirit is here and he's speaking to our hearts and he's teaching us and he's guiding us. He's using his word in a supernatural way. Um, the, when we pray, God will move us to pray and answer our prayers. That's the kingdom of God coming to earth. And the Bible speaks of, of Jesus told these parables, and he's ushering in the kingdom of God to the earth. But the kingdom of God not only speaks to something we experience right now, the kingdom of God speaks to a future event in our lives. There will be a day that we will see the kingdom of God. And, and this is a reality. The Bible prepares us for this. It's more than just physical in the world. Uh, it's more, there's more than just this life. And, and I want you to know that. I don't want you to live life thinking that all you have is physical right here. Uh, there's a coming kingdom. And, and, the, and Jesus spoke to this through the parables. Now, now it's interesting because the, the verse in every series that we embrace and we, we look at, we're going to bring a challenge to memorize a scripture. Because that's something we need to do as a church, as a body. We need to know God's word and put it in our hearts. And so, with the, I just want to remind you, with this, this series and the parables, the challenge has been to memorize Luke chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. Look over at it real quick. Luke 8, 9 and 10. Now, in that passage, Jesus is quoting Isaiah 6, and the disciples asked him what these parables meant. And Jesus said, these have been given so that you may know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But to others... They are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now that's an odd verse to memorize because that's one we would often overlook. But I want to challenge you to memorize it. And the challenge has been to do that through this series because sometimes uh, we have ears to hear, but we don't hear. Sometimes we have eyes to see, but we don't see. You see, the, the point of this, Jesus is quoting Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, uh, Isaiah was being prepared to go to people that have ears but they don't hear. And they have eyes that they don't see. Because sometimes we come to God and we're rebellious. And we have rebellion in our hearts. And we have a bent to say, I'm not going to listen to you. And so the Bible tells us that there are some that they won't understand because their hearts are set on rebelling against God. And it's my prayer. That we are a people that say, God, our hearts are open to your voice. We're, we're, we're submitting to your will. 
And, and now Matthew 9 is, is such an important passage because it's Matthew's experience when he had ears and he heard. He had eyes and he saw. So stand with me and let's look at Matthew 9. We're going to start in verse 9 and we're only going to read through verse 13 today. But Matthew says this. God says this through Matthew. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now Matthew's experience is this, it's this beautiful example of the amazing grace of God. Because it's this moment when, when, when he sees Jesus and he hears his voice. Like, like not just audibly, but his heart heard his voice. Now, uh, Mark chapter, chapter 2 verse 14 tells us that Matthew had a different name prior to this. His name was Levi. And, uh, and Levi was his name. And, and Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to mark this Levi by changing your name to Matthew. Matthew means the gift of God. And, and look at verse 9 again. As, as he passed on from there, he saw a man sitting, and this gives us indication, at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. And we've heard about these guys. Tax collectors were, uh, they were some of the most hated people in Jewish society. Because they were seen as, you're a sellout. They basically, a tax collector worked for the Roman government. And their job was to get money from um, the, the, the children of Israel, the, the Israelites, the people of, of God. And, and, and often, if they could get more, they would keep more for themselves. And so they were looked upon as, you're a sellout, you're a crook. Most of them were, were, were a little crooked. They were wealthy. And the Jewish people would see them as, you're hanging out with all these Gentiles, so you're unclean. And this is the, the culture of the time. If we would have been alive in the first century, I would guess, I don't know everybody in this room, but I would say that 99% of us are non-Jewish. So we would be Gentiles. So the Jews would look down upon us. They would look at us and go, look, you're not as valuable. You're not as important because you're not of the people of God. And and so uh, the, the tax collectors were seen as you are people that hang out with the unclean folks. And that's interesting. Matthew 9.9 9, uh, points, though, to this moment when, when Matthew opened his heart to Christ. And I can imagine Matthew, as God is inspiring him to write the gospel, going, you got to tell your, I got to tell my story. 
My story of when Jesus saved me. And, and, and you know, we know about Matthew's from Capernaum. And this is important. Because Capernaum was, was recognized. Matthew 11 talks about Capernaum was a, was a place that rejected the Messiah. They rejected God. And Matthew was from Capernaum, and he didn't reject Christ. And in verse 10, it says this, Matthew follows him, verse 9. He follows him. He, he leaves what he, what he, everything he, he had, and he followed Jesus. Now, now, this is a big deal. This is a big deal for Matthew. He, this was costly for him. Both he was, to follow Jesus means you're an outcast from the Jews, but I bet also to follow Jesus for Matthew meant that his friends would like, what are you doing? What are you doing following Jesus? Are you kidding me? You're leaving everything? You're leaving this lucrative business? You're leaving all this to follow him? Are you crazy? So what does he do? First thing he does, well, I'm probably going to be outcast by all these people, so I'm going to throw a party and invite all my friends to come before they can, uh, they got to meet Jesus. So what does he do? Verse 10, we see the scene change. Now we're at Matthew's house. As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So it's, it's interesting. He took advantage of the situation and said, I'm going to invite my friends to, to follow Jesus. So we've seen that, that you know, the, these often when people have a party like this, it's in public and people can see in. And this is, a, a, again, one of those moments because as this feast is going on and these people are gathered, the Pharisees, verse 11 makes sense, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, to Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They looked at him, why, why is he doing that? And the Pharisees were always criticizing Jesus for eating with this defiled group. Now, what's interesting about Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, we got to remember this. In, in no way is Jesus condoning or saying, hey, this is good that you are in this state of sin. Every, in every situation, what does Jesus do? He calls them out of that sin to, to follow him, to, to, to live for him, to, to, to stop that historic practice of sin. And that's the, that, you got to realize that. As he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, he's not condoning this. But, but the Pharisees struggled with this. And even in John, in Luke 5.33, we see this instance of, of the Pharisees trying to get John's disciples to, to go against Jesus' disciples because of this practice of Jesus hanging out with sinners. But look how Jesus responded to the criticism of the Pharisees. Verse 12. When he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now, now when it's interesting, we got to catch this. Jesus explains right here, I came for those who are spiritually sick, and they need a physician. Have you ever needed a physician? Have you ever had a moment in your life where you're like, I need a physician? right now. Okay, well, um, I had that moment one time. Well, I've said a couple times, but, but one time in particular, I was at Council Road. Uh, I was a youth pastor there. And, uh, and I, have you ever had that moment in your life when you came to the real, realization that you are a former athlete? 
You ever had that moment? Um, so, so I was a tennis player. And of, of course, like Mark Van Curen will verify, that, that the greatest athletes in the world are tennis players, right? Mark, go with me here. Um, and um, so, so I, you know, in my mind, I, I, was, I was a college tennis player, by God. I'm a, I'm a top-notch athlete. And, uh, and so uh, I, we're setting up for a big weekend, and one of the guys that I had hired, he was playing college basketball at the time. And basketball players, are you kidding me? Those aren't athletes. And, uh, and so he walks in to the stage, and he looks at the stage. It was kind of like this. And he just does a box jump up on the stage. And I'm standing there, and I thought, hmm, I can do that. <laughs> I mean, he didn't challenge me to do that. It's just my own mind. I thought, I can do that. He's like, well, man, don't, don't do it. I was like, oh, now you just insulted me. So, so I, the last words of a redneck, right, are, hey, watch this. Watch this. So I took everything out of my pocket, and I, I, I approached that stage and like a leopard jumping, scaling a mountaintop. I, I just went for it, and I made it, sort of, um, because... My feet, my toes got to the edge of the stage, and when I went to stand up, my, my toes slipped. And all of a sudden, the full weight of my body lands on my shins on the edge of a metal railing at the edge of the stage. And I came to the ground, and I didn't, I, I landed on my feet, but all I, I didn't cuss. I'm not telling you what I was thinking, but I didn't cuss out loud. Um, <laughs> But all I said was, yikes, yikes, yikes. And he was like, Chris, I told you, well, I told you not to do that. I was like, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. I got to walk it off. I got to walk it off. I'm okay, I'm okay. He goes, you got to look at it. I go, no, I'm not going to look at it. I just got to walk it off. I got to walk it off because I had sweats on. And, uh, and so finally he goes, you got to look at it. So I raised up my pant leg and I was like, oh, okay. So I had the opportunity to go to the doctor and get eight stitches in each shin because uh, now I have two smiley face scars in both of my shins because it just ripped the skin off and it was, it was an outstanding day. It was a day that I needed a physician, right? Well, well, here's the point of that story. These Pharisees, they were thinking we're righteous. But see, Jesus came into the world. And do you know how many righteous people there are in the world? Zero. Zero righteous. And see, the, the reality is these Pharisees would look at these sinners and go, you know what? Why is he hanging out with sinners and overlooking the fact that they were in the same boat? And see, that's us. That's, that's, why, that's why a day like today is important with the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is this beautiful moment to think about our forgiveness. You see, Jesus spent time with these sinners, and I'm grateful because he came to sinners, and that included the Pharisees. That included those Gentiles, those tax collectors, that includes you and me. And this is the reality. That, that, and here's, here's the point. So many times we don't want to admit I need a doctor. I didn't want to admit that day. I think I need a doctor. 
And I pray that every one of you, every one of us in this moment recognize that we need a savior. You, you need a savior more than you need the next breath that you take. You see, if you don't take another breath, you're not going to make it. But the truth is, there's going to come a day all of us have that moment where we don't take another breath. And we need Jesus more than that breath. And then Jesus said, look at verse 13, it's very interesting. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And you know what I want to do today? I want us to learn what this means. As we take the Lord's Supper, I want us to learn about this beautiful truth that, that God desired mercy, not sacrifice. That, that the Lord's Supper is this beautiful, incredible, important picture of the mercy of God, of God's mercy that came to, to Matthew. You see, because in this moment of Matthew's life, it, he, God saved him, and he's never, he, he was never the same after that. And can I, can I ask you a question? Matthew, when he was writing this, was able to look at, his page and go, God, you've led me to, you've inspired me to write about this moment in my past when you saved me, when you washed my sins away. Do you remember that? Can you go back to that moment in your mind when Jesus saved you? You see, that's what we're supposed to do when we take the Lord's Supper is to look back at our past at a time that Jesus saved you. So if you're following in your notes, the, the Lord's Supper, point number one is this, the Lord's Supper is a look at your 2-10 moment. Now you might say, okay, that doesn't make sense, Chris, well, let me explain it to you. Your 2-10 moment. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, 1 Peter 2.10, your 2.10 moment, I want you to think about this. It says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, when we take the Lord's Supper, it's this, it's this time to remember when God called you. Will you think back at the moment that God called you? Would you think back about the moment when, when grace was applied to you? You see, the Lord's Supper is this time that we remember, Jesus, I can look back on my life at a moment that you, you washed my sins away, that you made me a people of God. That's what happened in Matthew's life in this, in this parable or in this, in this moment. And then Jesus told the parable of the physician and that, that Matthew was sick and he was in need of a physician and the great physician changed his life. Has the great physician healed you?
of your sin. Today, as we prepare to move to these stations, would you stop and remember your 210 moment when you were not a people, but then became the people of God? When you were standing in a position in need of mercy and you received mercy. See, the Lord's Supper is this look at your 210 moment. The Lord's Supper is, and this is important, point number two is, is focused on Christ's finished work. You see, the Lord's Supper is, is, is significant because we hold the bread. And the bread, what does it symbolize? It symbolizes the body of Christ that was given for us. You see, Jesus, uh, God in the flesh, he, he entered human history in a miraculous way. This Christmas, we're going to celebrate the fact that, that Jesus entered the world. But then he lived this life, and the parables describe these moments of amazement as they watched Jesus live and thought, man, who is this guy? Look, listen to him teach. Look at what he does. And then Jesus in the flesh goes to the cross. Oh, my goodness. God, like 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. You see, as we hold that bread, it's a picture of the body of Christ and the blood that he shed. And see, when you, when you really look at that, you recognize you can't earn that, that yourself. You, you're not, nothing I can do is good enough it is sufficient to, to, to pay for my own sin. It's like the old song that I sang in my youth group, he paid a debt he did not owe. Because I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And that's what he did on the cross. And so see, it's, it's not about your work or your effort. And I don't want you to come to church here thinking that I can somehow, you can somehow earn your way to heaven Salvation comes by faith alone. And the Pharisees were, were, were right. They were, they were religious men, but they weren't righteous men. And see, at our church, here's what, I'm going to give you just quickly some terms. But when, it, when the Lord's Supper is given, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, confusion about what this is. Have you heard the word transubstantiation? I put it on the screen because it's a, it's a word you probably don't, you haven't used in your vocabulary a ton. But it's this belief that, that when the bread and wine are blessed by a priest, they turn into the real body and blood of Christ. That, 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 that there's some that believe that when you, if, if I were to bless this, this would actually become the body and the blood of Jesus. That's not what we believe as a church. Um, there's another term, consubstantiation, okay? And this is a term that you may have heard, but this is the idea that Jesus is somehow mystically present in these elements, 
in the, in the juice or in the wine and in the bread that somehow Jesus is mystically present. And those that hold these views think that by actually taking these elements, you are actually bringing salvation into your life. Now, I don't, that's not what the Bible teaches about the Lord's Supper. We see, and here's what our church teaches, that, that the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience. That, that these are symbols, these are representations of the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. And, and this is where, whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, we memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his coming. So, so our belief and our teaching at our church is the Lord's Supper, there's nothing mystical about it. The, the, the Holy Spirit's in this room right now. He's not in the elements. He's in this room. And, and you don't get saved by, by taking these elements. I and mean, when Matthew gives his life to Christ, he wasn't uh, doing some, eating some bread and drinking some wine. No, he put his faith in Christ. And he looks back at that moment. Now, when we take the Lord's Supper, we believe that the only ones that t- should take it are those that are believers. Those that, have, those that can look back to that moment of, of, of salvation. And if you're not a believer yet, I, it's, you know, do you know that you could have a 210 moment today? That this could be a day that Jesus could save you? And I pray that if that's you, oh, come to Jesus. Don't go to the tables here in a minute. Come to Christ. Um. You know what the Lord's Supper is? It's a symbolic act of obedience, and it points to our past, but it also points to our future. And point number three is this, that the Lord's Supper is pointing to Christ's future return. Do you know that we're to do this? We're to do this act of worship until he comes again, which means he's coming again. That there's going to be a day that Jesus returns. And I don't, I don't know, this is going to be really insightful. It's closer today than it's ever been, right? <laughs> you have a great pastor. Your pastor's so smart. Um, uh, but I want you to know, he's going to return someday. And, and see, at our church, we don't believe you have to be a member of this local body to take the Lord's Supper. If you are a member of the kingdom of God, you're welcome at this table. But I pray that you are ready. Because you know what breaks my heart? There are going to be people that I know that aren't ready. Whether it's going to be the eschatological end of the world as Jesus ushers in the end of time or whether it's your eschatological moment when your life ends. Are you ready? Oh, I want you to be ready. You see, it's why 
look, I, I, I today have a, I want to live with this attitude of expectation. I expect God to speak today, to move us today. It's my prayer that we live with this sense of urgency in our lives. There, there is a sense of urgency that today's the day of salvation. Come to Jesus today.